0: Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. This is episode number 222. I am Ross.
1: And I, hanging in here, is Gordon.
0: Hey Gordon. It's kind of yuck outside at the present, and a bit of a soft time for photography in much of the world. I thought it would be a good time to review best practices for the storage of our digital images.
1: Oh, that's a good idea. I know from personal experience how important the right decisions can be. I also... And also how one can be influenced to overspend and choose a route that is perhaps not ideal.
0: Exactly. So let's separate the applications that we use from the data itself because that's how all the applications treat the image data and I think this is a paraphrase of Barrester Galactica. <laughs> so should we all?
1: Uh, I yeah, I don't know. But not a TV mm-hmm. guy. Sounds <sighs> great. Well, as far as I can see, applications want or demand to be on the computer's boot drive. For the Macintosh, it's the Macintosh HD. And in the case of C drives
0: in the case of Windows. Exactly. And that storage media is the one that is regularly used in practical use because it holds the computer's operating system. And other than rare instances, it also holds all the applications that people use. And even web-based applications will sometimes have a local settings file that has to be on the boot drive.
1: Yep. Uh, And I noticed some years back that computers were coming from makers using solid-state drives instead of the,
0: what we were accustomed to using as the spinning drives. Well, that's correct. And that provides both a significant performance boost as well as a reliability boost. Moreover, many makers have moved on from the original style of SSDs to use what we call NVMe storage. We call them drives, but they really are... No more like a spinning drive than an octopus is like a calculator. Okay, I'm going to
1: leave that comparison on the ground where you dropped it. Uh, Can you explain the spinning drive versus solid-state models without getting the poor little
0: octopi involved in this? I believe that I can. Our original hard drives were distinguished from floppy drives and optical drives by using a series of metal platters prepared to store data permanently. The platters were often in a stack, like pancakes. As drive design improved, we got more and more storage available to us in conjunction with an improvement in the software that controlled the disk partitioning and formatting. Spinning drives, of course, still exist and offer the most storage for the dollar of any storage mechanism that we have today. However, they're still mechanical devices and will fail over time. The method that manufacturers use to measure expected lifetime of a spinning drive, or any drive, is called MTBF, or Mean Time Before Failure. This simply means that by this period, half of the systems will have failed. While spinning drives are, from an engineering perspective, better than they've ever been, the MTBF numbers haven't improved significantly over the last seven years or so.
1: So, what does that mean for the regular user?
0: Well, basically, once a drive reaches an in-use period of between three and four years, the owner should be looking to replace it. This was a big problem when computers used spinning drives as their boot disks. Because, well, as you and I both know, backup is never done as much as it should be, and restoration of a boot drive is rarely, if ever, tested until something goes catastrophically wrong and sadly, we often find that the backup wasn't backing up. As we moved on to solid-state storage for boot disks or more correctly, let's call them volumes, replacement is less time-sensitive because they last longer. However... When it comes to cost to storage ratios, spinning drives are superior for huge volumes of data. So,
1: these solid-state drives, do they have
0: Bf numbers? They do, but for the most part, the numbers are theoretical because solid-state has not been around long enough to get really... It hasn't been around long enough to get a reasonable sample set put in place for measurement. The current MTBF estimates by independent labs propose around 12 years at minimum, although there are solid-state drive makers who are already estimating 25 years, which from a storage perspective really is an eternity.
1: Now you regularly recommend replacing your camera memory cards every three or four years, but that is different from solid-state storage.
0: Uh, why is that? Well, the big difference is, has to do with the manufacturing model. The nature of the effectiveness of the controller that's on the memory card and the type of memory that's used. Memory cards, of course, because they are more mobile, are also more susceptible to damage due to mishandling and poor treatment. We find them in plastic containers as opposed to a metal casing.
1: Okay. Uh, But I know people who, once they fill a card, they label it and put it away as long-term storage. I am assuming that you do not recommend this
0: particular practice? I do not recommend this at all, and certainly no more than I would recommend storing your archive data on compact discs or DVDs as viable long-term storage. The problem is that all these devices lose their ability to hold the charge that created the data over time. And in the case of optical media, there's also the problem of delamination, which means that layers of the disk start to move. And so the micro pits on the media is now unreadable. And so the data is gone forever. There's a big risk in using a memory card as long-term storage. You might come back in five years and find that there's nothing there at all.
1: So if I'm to understand what you're saying, the memory cards have a tendency to degrade with time, and the other storage devices that we have touted for so long, the CDs and DVDs, as, oh, I'm going to put it on there, and it's going to be safe forever, uh, that
0: also does not hold true. Uh, Regrettably, The scientific data has told us, no, it doesn't actually work that way.
1: Hmm. Okay. But memory cards are very cheap, and so too are some SSD storage media
0: these days. Indeed, and particularly in the case of memory cards, we can find them incredibly inexpensive for what it looks like the same service as one that is considerably more expensive, perhaps four to five times more expensive. But it's important to understand that there are only actually a very few manufacturers of solid-state storage, whether for use in memory cards or in solid-state disks. And as in any manufacturing scenario, there are outcomes that don't achieve top-grade acceptance. Well, the ones that don't make it aren't destroyed. They're sold off in bulk, and they'll show up in stores and online offering that have lots of storage at very low prices. Now, certainly there is some price gouging that happens at the high end, but the usual caveat should apply. If the deal looks too good to be true, yeah, it is.
1: So I remember that the first SSDs looked like thin 2.5 inch laptop discs, but Now they can be smaller and even the size of a stack of about three credit cards?
0: Exactly, because there's no need for a maker to make a larger enclosure unless it's to fit in a storage bay that already exists. So those first SSDs had to fit into the the storage bays that used to hold spinning drives.
1: Which are considerably larger.
0: Right. There's no need to continue to make them big. And NVMe storage that we can buy at a computer shop is basically the same as the newest SSD in terms of storage, but takes the form of a small strip, about four times longer than it's wide. For folks who are, you know, getting inside computers, this looks like an old DRAM chip, but instead of having the connector on the edges, it's on, on the end. And unlike traditional memory... NVMe storage doesn't lose what is stored when power is removed, and thus is an incredibly reliable and long-lived storage method. Most modern laptop computers these days use NVMe storage, even if the maker calls it an SSD. The use of the common SSD label is to allay concerns about different technology for the non-technical buyer. For example, your MacBook calls it storage an SSD, but really it's NVMe storage attached directly to the system board.
1: Okay, sorry, but uh, I'm not a tech person. So NVMe, what does that mean? In the case of my machine, that sounds like I cannot change it if I run out of space.
0: That's very true. When we encounter computers where the storage mechanism is soldered to the system board, there is no upgrade in the future option. Okay. So you buy what you hope to use over the life of the machine and understand you're not gonna to add to it. Okay. The storage will likely work long after the maker or operating system stops supporting the hardware. We've both encountered perfectly functional machines no longer supported by an operating system or an application. NVMe is a storage model that uses non-volatile memory. The first three letters. Yeah. Okay. And at a high level, this is the same technology that is behind what we call solid state storage.
1: Okay. I think we understand the difference between the spinning drives and the solid state storage. You always recommend to not keep your images on the computer boot storage. So Where are you saying
0: they should go? Well, I never recommend keeping them on the computer boot storage because the storage capacity is fixed. It can't be upgraded and images and even more so video use up a lot of space and do so very quickly. So the best place to put this important stuff is on an external storage mechanism.
1: But you just said that solid state storage is expensive. Yet, I read all the time on the internet that solid-state is much faster medium than spinning drives. So, what should I really do?
0: Well, the truth is that the performance of storage for images or video is only leveraged when the file is read into memory from storage, or written to storage from memory. Yes, it's true that solid-state is much faster than a spinning drive, But the time you're hitting the drive for an image or even a video clip is very limited. And so at this point, investing in solid-state storage for long-term storage of images and videos still remains, for most people, cost-prohibitive. For less than the cost of a high-quality solid-state storage mechanism with a capacity of 4 terabytes, you can readily get a spinning drive with a capacity of 14 or more terabytes.
1: Does anyone really need that much storage?
0: Well, I think you and I have talked about the propensity of photographers never to throw anything (laughs) away. Uh, And videographers and video editors definitely will use that kind of storage over time. And of course, we all know, still photographers who keep everything. So when storage is cheap, it may not be that big a concern. Okay. All right,
1: uh, so I get it. So to quote you that it's, that that becomes a statistically infinitesimal number. Whoa, big, big numbers, okay.
0: Uh, well, precisely, and a high-performance spinning drive that has plenty of cash, that is designed to run all the time, is financially and practically your optimum choice.
1: So what do you mean uh, specifically?
0: Well, the faster the disk inside the spinning drive spins, the faster a sector is available. The more cash on the disk's controller, the more information can be read to or written, pardon me, the more information can be read from or written to the disk in a single pace couple that with a decent high-speed interface to the computer, and you're going to get very high performance that I don't think anybody's actually ever going to complain about when it comes to loading an image or saving an image. Um, so can you give an example? Well, sure. Let's say that we find a drive that has a ongoing permanent spin rate of 7,200 RPM and that has at least 64 gigabytes of cache And that uses, a let's say, a minimum USB 3.0 interface, although preferably USB 3.2 or 3.1 Generation 2.
1: But many of the packaged external drives do not document that information. How do you know what you're
0: actually getting? Well, that's the problem with some of these prepackaged drives. You may be getting something that's slower with less cache and a slower interface. So, my recommendation, if you choose to follow it, is spend less money. Buy a drive that has the performance you want, and buy an external drive case with its own power supply. If you can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you can assemble your own external drive that will outperform any of the packaged external spinning drive kits. All you need is a screwdriver. And one often comes in the case kit. And recently, some of these drive cases don't even use screws. That still sounds complicated. It's easier than making a tuna salad sandwich. Anyone can do it. And by making a tuna salad sandwich, I mean two pieces of bread, open can of tuna, place tuna between bread.
1: Oh, that sandwich, yeah. Very simple. So what about all this USB stuff? That sounds really confusing.
0: Well... Sadly, it is confusing. USB 3.0, 3.1, and 3.2 Generation 1 all have a maximum throughput of 5 gigabits per second. USB 3.1 and USB 3.2, both Generation 2, in their single-lane configurations, have a maximum throughput of 10 gigabits per second. USB 3.2 Generation 2 dual-lane has a maximum throughput of 20 gigabits per second, and by now, everybody is sleeping. Hmm. Getting the (laughs) specs of a drive case can be easier than finding out which USB connection, however, is in your computer. Fortunately, the standardization and the small and orientation-independent USB-C connector tends to deliver a minimum throughput of USB generation 2 single-lane But again, it's best to check the maker's specifications. Fortunately, when we purchase computers, the makers are quite clear on what the USB port is capable of.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds like a lot of numbers to me. Is that fast enough to read and write images and videos? Because you're mentioning even the the USB-C has a, uh, what, throughput of, Two? Minimum two-put of two?
0: Uh, 20 gigabits per second.
1: 20 gigabits per second. In the dual-lane configuration.
0: Okay. So, is it suitable? Absolutely. If someone says that their storage access is too slow, the problem is going to lie elsewhere because the read is very fast and time can be taken getting the CPU and GPU engaged. Also, some software doesn't use all the cores that you paid for in your computer. That's a whole different problem.
1: Yeah, that's a different story because I'm just finding out about that one.
0: In any case, there's nothing life-threatening about waiting an extra half second for the ninth selfie of the day to load.
1: Okay, careful. The horns are coming out and showing there.
0: Oh, Well, that's quite possible. It's been that kind of week. But so long as my brimstone cologne is not overpowering.
1: So, it sounds like the, for most people... A high-performance USB 3.1 or better connected to a spinning drive is, at this point in time, the optimal solution for storage of images and videos. What about disk arrays and network-attached storage and stuff? My Mac has a Thunderbolt 4. Can I use an external Thunderbolt storage? And what is a NAS?
0: Yes. (laughs) Thunderbolt is the child of the taken out behind the barn and murdered firewire model and is the fastest transport mechanism available from a data transfer perspective. However, Thunderbolt devices do cost more and it has limited bus sharing, meaning the number of devices that can be on the chain compared to USB 3.2. Now, if you're a PC or a Mac user with a free Thunderbolt port, this is going to be the fastest connection and will be limited only by the performance of the mechanical spinning disk in this case. I use NAS systems, Network Attached Storage. That means the storage is not attached to your computer directly. It's attached to your home or business network. NAS systems allow for increased fault tolerance, for example, In a NAS array of five drives, you could lose an entire disk and not lose any data at all because it can be recovered from the data on the other disks. However, read and write performance at the end-user will seem slower because the data is moving over Ethernet. Ethernet is cheap and effective, but it's certainly not the world's most effective network transport. However, Ethernet is everywhere, and it has become the de facto standard. To be blunt, I never worry about read and write performance with a NAS system, but I understand that it's also more complicated to set up and definitely is much more expensive.
1: There's an elephant in the bathtub here somewhere, and maybe that is the concept of the cloud-based storage.
0: Why are we not talking about that instead? Well, the primary issues today that face cloud-based storage are connectivity and throughput. If you can't connect to the cloud because you don't have internet access, your images and your video clips are not available. They're just not there at all. The other challenge with cloud storage is that it sits far off from a network perspective. And while read and write performance might be excellent for use as a backup mechanism, the performance is just too slow for most people when working on images. You could be waiting 5, 10, 20, 30 seconds for something to load, and waiting that long for it's something to save. Long. Sadly, at this point, it's the performance is just too slow for most people when working on images and video clips. So for today, I would not recommend cloud storage for your production images, but I always propose it as your off-site backup mechanism.
1: Okay. So from what you said then is keep your stuff on spinning drives at this point, solid state if the amount you're using is not cost prohibitive, have your backups in the usual fashion, and if cloud storage is available as a secondary or tertiary backup, use it. Would that be a...
0: Yeah, I think that's very fair.
1: So spinning drives are what you would recommend at this point?
0: For your image and video local storage, yes.
1: Okay. And what are you using just now?
0: Well, right now I am using myself and implementing for clients spinning drives from Seagate in their Iron Wolf class. They're all available pretty readily, with up to 20 terabytes of storage per disk system, and they've been well-proven in production systems. I used to use Western Digital, but after the company was taken over, I and many other people saw some recurring quality issues. So, when it happened to me, I stopped using them, and as I replace... Existing drives, when they reach their MTBF number, I'm replacing them with Seagate Ironwolf drives. Mind you, at some point, those Ironwolf drives will reach their MTBF rating, and at that point, I'll be replacing them too. I expect this. This is just good practice based on the nature of how spinning drives live.
1: So, uh, I'm just going to throw a point in here that just crossed my mind, is So when when we've got all this storage capacity, be it memory cards or otherwise, we should have them marked from usage date or purchase date or something should be recommended, should be labeled somewhere so that you can look at them and say, well, maybe we're getting to the point where I should start thinking of changing these.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now... With drives, they're typically on the desk and you can see them. With memory cards, you interact with them regularly when you pull right. them onto the computer. Right. You can't see this, listeners, but I'm holding up a silver Sharpie, which I think costs two dollars. Oh, goody! Really? And I, 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 I write the date and year that anything is first set up. I write it on memory cards. Uh, I write it on drives. You can certainly use, you know, a label maker. Although, don't put labels on memory cards unless you'd like them to stay stuck. In the camera for the, camera, the rest yes. of forever, but just yeah, write it down and write down when not only when you created it, but when you expect to have to replace it.
1: Okay, back home I go and start scribbling on memory cards. Think we bought them enough?
0: I I I believe that we have assailed our good <laughs> listeners sufficiently <laughs> for today. So thanks to all of our listeners. If you would like to support the channel, you can do so with a donation by clicking the button marked "Support the Channel" on the main page at thephotovideoguy.ca. If you shop at BNH Photo Video, please use the link on the main page, as it pays a small commission here and costs you nothing to do so. Please submit a comment or send in a question. I read and respond to all. For the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast, I'm Ross. I'm Gordon. And we wish you peace and good health.
1: And stay warm, those of you who aren't in the warm,
0: Well said.